Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Welcome back to Nothing Personal with David Sampson. It is October 17th, 2019, and what could we possibly be talking about today? We've got a long list of interesting things. We're going to talk NFL, NBA, MLB, but we're not just recapping games here. We're talking about the stories behind the stories. What's trending? We're going to explain it. Let's start with a press conference because I love it when coaches and players have press conferences because I personally Listen very carefully to what they're saying. I know it's supposed to be scripted because I've been around and done so many press conferences that for me, it's like a sport. It's like a blood sport to try. You smell it in the water like a shark when players take the microphone, take the stage, even managers and coaches. Trust me, it's very hard when you have to meet the media once or twice a day, which players have to do and coaches have to do and managers. There's going to be slip ups. I get it. I'm not here to talk about slip-ups. Those happen. Misstatements, they happen. A mistake in a factual assertion, they happen. You correct it. What I want to focus on are purposeful statements that there's a lot more to read into and that they're purposeful, meaning unscripted, but for a reason. And you got to start with Kyle Shanahan. You know Kyle Shanahan. I know him because he's Mike Shanahan's son. You may know Kyle Shanahan because he is the coach for the San Francisco 49ers, not with Joe Montana or Dwight Clark or Jerry Rice. These are the 5-0 and current day Niners who are actually trying to go to 6-0 and for the first time since 1990. So 1990 to me seems like yesterday, but of course we're talking 29 years ago was the last time the Niners had 29. That means people were born, went to college, got out of college, got a job, got fired from a job, got a new job. That's how long it's been. His focus is on staying undefeated. Of course, he's playing the Redskins. Why is that noteworthy? Well, of course it's noteworthy because the Redskins are involved in tank for Tua, and they've got one win against the Dolphins, so it's sort of a big game in that regard. Will the Redskins go back to their losing ways? But that's not what the media was interested in yesterday. No, it's not. They wanted to hear Kyle Shanahan talk about his time when he worked with his dad as an offensive coordinator for the Redskins, and he did not disappoint. Being able to work with my dad and be around some other good coaches. What was the worst part? Everything else. <laughs> <laughs> there it was. What was the worst part? And his quote was, everything else. Let me tell you what that means. We'll decode it right here on Nothing Personal. He is speaking specifically about the owner, Daniel Snyder. Daniel Snyder, who got involved in all of the football decisions, down to the play calling, not just personnel. We're talking a different type of meddling, and I've heard some meddling. I've been involved in some meddling. I've been a meddler, so I get what it means to meddle. But this is a whole new level type of meddle, what Daniel Snyder does. And so if you're an offensive coordinator, you don't want to be questioned by an owner who you are almost positive knows less than you do and pretends not to be involved. 
It's not like the Cowboys with Jerry Jones, where he does get involved because he says, I'm the owner and I'm going to get involved. Daniel Snyder does it in a much more Machiavellian way. He tries to make believe that people are doing what they want to do, but he's having them do what he wants them to do. And for a coach like Kyle Shanahan to go public and say that, why did he do it now? A, because he's in Washington. B, because he's secure in his job with the Niners, though he's had two jobs since the Redskins. And five games, to me, does not make a successful head coaching career. We're not talking about Bill Belichick here or Bill Walsh or Bill Parcells. Heck, his name is not even Bill. He's got a long way to go. And why would you burn a bridge like that if you know that coaches in the NFL are actually hired just to be fired? Same as managers in MLB, NHL, NBA. It's how it goes. I'm very surprised that Kyle was so angry about his time with the Redskins that he decided to burn that bridge because Daniel Snyder is not going away anytime soon. So why would Kyle Shanahan do it? I believe it was two things. One, in loyalty to his father, Mike Shanahan, who he was coaching under with the Redskins, and two, it was a subtle jab towards Snyder, but the secret thing that he was doing was letting the owner of the Niners know, hey, listen, that's how to be unsuccessful. If you want to win here in San Francisco, where you haven't won a lot recently, let me do my job. Kyle Shanahan, completely purposeful. The other guy who was purposeful today is a man who's always purposeful. He may come off as off the cuff, but Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors, he is always, always on point, meaning he's on his point. So what was on his mind today? No one ever blames the situation, though it's always the kid. No one ever blames these shitty franchises. It's always going to blame the kid. It's not always the kid's fault. He's, he's getting older now, so he's not a kid anymore. But, you know, he came into this league as a kid. But it's never the organization fault. It's always that guy. Tremont, you've got rings. You didn't always start this way, right? You were not exactly going to be the superstar. All of a sudden, you get playing time. You're defensive player of the year. You got yourself some jewelry. So now you feel like you want to speak out. Now, why was he speaking out? Because he felt he needed to defend one of his teammates, a guy named Marquise Chris. Now, you may know this name, drafted by the Phoenix Suns, actually in the top six in the NBA draft. Really didn't do anything much for Phoenix. And then went on to, I think, the Rockets, maybe the Cavaliers, and finally signed with the Golden State Warriors. Interestingly enough, Golden State has to set its roster. If you make the 14-man roster in the NBA or 15-man roster, Coca, if you could give me an answer in my right ear, as soon as you can Google it, it's either 14 or 15, you get guaranteed money if you're the 15th player, which really is what Chris could be. But Draymond felt the need to talk to the media about why it is that Chris has never really made it in the NBA. And instead of blaming Chris and his abilities, he goes after the Phoenix organization, calling them S-H-I-T-T-Y organization. Why exactly is he doing that? Is it my job as the president to have a number six pick come in and work hard and be better? Is it my job as an organization in marketing or sales or finance or the GM or the coach? My coach is supposed to take the players I give him as the GM 
He's supposed to do the best he can with them, but is there any responsibility on the players themselves? I'm just not sure where Draymond was going. But then he doubled down and went further. When asked why it happens and why the media never criticizes an organization, did you hear what I just said? Draymond Green actually said in public that he is not aware of the media ever criticizing an organization. Draymond, I am sending you two tickets on JetBlue from Golden State to land in Florida. Then we're going to go to the library and I'm going to show you some articles. And they're by the volume of the criticisms that were levied against me when I ran the Marlins. For 18 years I was in baseball. I have been criticized in French, English, Spanish, Swahili, every possible language. So I'm not exactly sure what he was talking about, except trying to get the focus off players who don't perform when they're supposed to and on organizations because they're not winning enough games. Well, Draymond, the reason why the Golden State Warriors have rings is you're winning games over teams who are trying to become you because the Warriors used to be the Phoenix Suns. It's called cyclical, and the Warriors will be back there one day soon. So if I were you, Draymond, I'd be very careful calling out any organization and blaming any sort of player who doesn't have the ability to become a star in the NBA on the S-H-I-T-T-Y organization. And as for media criticizing teams, they criticize owners, teams, GMs all the time. Players end up skating way more than management. Speaking of players who get criticized, and this was a uh, definitely a criticism that I levied, and I'm, I was happy to levy it, and I stand by it. I've been very critical of Bryce Harper. It was never anything personal. Uh, he is a, uh, a good family man and a good man in general. Uh, what I did not like about him, and I was vociferous in my complaining, was his really lack of leadership in the clubhouse and all the things that I knew firsthand and secondhand. And when you're in the game as a president of a team, like, you know, when you're in a bar and you're talking with your friends and you think you know something because you heard it or read it, that's in the legal world called hearsay. In the bar world, it's called just talking trash. But in my world, when I hear something, I'm actually hearing it from someone who experienced this or who was in a clubhouse with this player if it didn't happen to be me specifically. So not a leader in the clubhouse. Bryce Harper actually signs a huge deal, which you've all heard about, leaving the Washington Nationals to go to the Philadelphia Phillies. What's noteworthy about that is that the Nationals then won the pennant. That means they're going to the World Series. That means they lost Bryce Harper, and it was DEFCON 7 in Washington when Bryce Harper went to the Phillies. Oh, my God, he's gone. These are the fans talking, not the front office. He's gone to a divisional foe, the Philadelphia Phillies. And what we were saying in the industry and what I said on CBS Sports HQ is that the Nationals actually have addition by subtraction. So Bryce Harper is watching the Nationals win the pennant. And he'll tell you that he wasn't watching. He was with his kids. He was golfing. He was swimming, whatever, scuba diving. He was on vacation. He knows the Nats won the pennant. He watched them clinch because those are the people he was in a clubhouse with for many years. He watched the goggle-filled celebration. He watched Ted Lerner get the trophy on his 94th birthday, the owner of the team. So don't believe him when he says he didn't see it. So what I am doing for Bryce Harper, if it were, if it, let's say it was his birthday yesterday, which I think it was, he's celebrating his birthday, wondering why aren't I getting ready to play in the World Series? But what really the league is wondering and what his agent is wondering 
is did Bryce Harper screw it up for my other client, Anthony Rendon, or for my other client, Garrett Cole? Because teams realize that if you sign a player to a $330 million deal and then don't make the playoffs, you have wasted one year of that long-term deal. You wrote checks to Bryce Harper and did not get any return. You may have gotten a long-term asset appreciation return because teams go up in value. You may have gotten a bump in attendance. That's very nice that Bryce Harper may have been a part of that. Though in my career, the only player that moved the needle, two players, Dontrell Willis and Jose Fernandez a little bit, that was it. Even Ichiro didn't move the needle in Miami because, of course, he was past his prime. But Bryce Harper leaves the Nats. The Nats do better. What happens if teams wake up and say, we're done overpaying? We actually have decided we are going to build around youth. We're not tanking mid-level free agents, and we're going to spend money on pitchers like a Patrick Corbin, and we're not going to go too long-term, like four years, five years, but definitely not going 13 years, 12 years, 11 or 10 years. If that is the result here, the Bryce Harper deal will end up being the most seminal contract ever signed in Major League Baseball history because it will finally change the way owners do business. Please, let us pray. Let us pray that owners will not bail out Scott Boris and they will all get smart enough to know that signing one guy who is not going to make the difference in your team winning or losing but will add to the losing the juice is not worth the squeeze. Happy belated birthday, Bryce. It's nothing personal. So, you want to talk about a player who doesn't want money? We got a great one. Joe Harris of the Brooklyn Nets goes to China. He comes back from China. He's asked a question. Hey, what do you think about all this stuff that's going on with the NBA in China? And here's the quote, and I'm going to read it to you. To be honest, personally, I already get paid way too much to play a game. I'm not too worried about it. He's not too worried about the billions of dollars lost by his company, the NBA, by his other company, the Brooklyn Nets, by the fact that his owner has huge investments in China, his new owner, who bought the team for $2.3 billion. He goes public saying, hey, what am I worried? I got mine. I'm in the highest tax bracket, and I'm paid too much. Here's what's going on in three places right now. For those of you watching, I held up two fingers when I said in three places. God, am I glad this is a podcast today. The first people who are watching, the commissioner of the National Basketball Association and the deputy commissioner and the chief legal officer. They're writing this down when they go negotiate their next collective bargaining agreement because clearly salaries are too high. And you think that's too petty for leagues to bring up? I assure you, the leagues and the union keep track of every quote that every owner, president, or player says. I've been in the room, I was in an arbitration room against Dan Ugla many, many years ago. He was a second baseman for the Marlins, and of course we took him to arbitration. He and I were texting each other and passing notes during arbitration. We actually got in trouble because we were laughing, and the arbitrators, there are three of them, it was three arbitrators at the front of the room, and then I'm three seats in, and I'm right across from Dan Ugla, who's three seats in, and I did this with Cody Ross too, but with Ugla, we got in trouble. And so we were sort of talking, you know, under our breasts and texting, almost like passing notes as a kid in high school. But I, instead of sort of pretending that I hated Dan Ugla, which I didn't, we were close and remain close to this day, we knew that that was just part of the business. When Joe Harris talks, this is part of the business. 
So the union reads this quote and they call his agent immediately. Union's on the lookout for this. This is the type of quote you cannot have out there. Players can say anything. You can talk about, believe it or not, you can tweet about the relationship with China. You can tweet about any sort of social cause you want. You want to talk about the president? Talk about the president. There is one thing you really shouldn't talk about. And this is not freedom of expression. This is not freedom of the press. So everyone calm down out there. This is not about the family. Calm down about that too. You don't talk or tweet about how much money you get paid and say it's too much money. It's really that simple. Don't do it. But of course, he did it. Joe Harris, this bud's for you because I assure you, you're gonna get it talking to. I wanna segue now into a... uh a serious thing that went on yesterday. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things on this podcast, and it is always going to be business, and it is going to be nothing personal. This one is a little personal to me uh, because we work in a world, we all make a living in a world where we count on athletes to be in superb shape. We count on them to do uh, athletic achievements that we could only dream about doing, whether it's hitting a golf ball, or hitting a tennis ball or a baseball or dunking a basketball. We all dream of doing extraordinary things, but most of us are unable to and never will be able to. And then there's a sport that is worth a lot of money that gets a lot of attention. It's the sport of boxing. And I'm not here to talk about boxing as a sport. I'm here to talk about us as a community and as people and what we feel about paying money and being a part of organizations and people who we ask to beat each other up for money. And it's big money. And a lot of networks pay a lot of money because you, the audience, are paying for this content. You want to see this. And I got, I was lucky enough to know Muhammad Ali, not just opening day in 2012, but other times I got to meet him through one of his closest friends and confidants, Bernie Human. And I always wondered, talking to Muhammad Ali, about why he did what he did and not the social conscience part, but what it's like to make a living hitting people and getting hit, yet being such a pacifist. Muhammad Ali was one of the nicest gentlemen you'd ever meet, except he was paid to be a savage. And I don't mean an Aaron Boone-like savage, I mean an actual savage. And what happened today on Saturday this past week is Charles Conwell was in a fight with Patrick Day, and I use those words very purposely. They were in a fight. They were being paid to be in a fight. And Charles Conwell was doing the job that he's paid to do. And Patrick Day is dead today because of it. He died from injuries that were sustained in that loss. And it's not that he was KO'd. And I know that we have that on the screen. Because that's what they call it. But a KO means knocked out. He wasn't knocked out. It's over. He's dead. And he's never coming back. And my question for all of you to at least think about. Why is it? that we can have boxers wear the protective headgear that they use in the Olympics. Did we not cheer for Sugar Ray Leonard when he wore the protective head cover? Do we not get as much excitement by gambling on a boxing match when there's no risk of death? Or do we need the risk of death? Is that what we need as a community, as a society, in order to get that added adrenaline rush? I would argue today that we don't. The adrenaline rush can be from gambling. It can be from two men technically in a ring doing their best to outpunch and outfox the other boxer. It can be about footwork. It can be about training. It can be about a left hook. 
but why does it have to be about the potential for death? In the NFL, when there's concussions, we make better helmets, we make better rules, we are protecting people from the possibility of death or paralysis. We know that it's a possibility, but we pray to God it doesn't happen. We're not rooting for that. When we watch boxing, we're not rooting for death, but we are rooting for an action that can lead to it in a far greater probability than in on a basketball court or a baseball diamond. When tragedy happens, that's one thing. When it's avoidable, that's yet another. Some of them are unavoidable. I believe that deaths in boxing can be avoidable. Why not let them protect their heads? It's just as exciting watching Mike Tyson hit someone in the ribs. You wanna break ribs? I'm all in. Fracture every one of the guy's ribs. I wouldn't mind seeing 20 fractured ribs and a compound fracture of the femur from being lifted up by a Sylvester Stallone Rocky-like punch. Because those will heal. What doesn't heal is when you're knocked unconscious and you don't wake up. I would like to send my sincerest condolences to the family of Patrick Day and to Charles Conwell, who obviously did not intend that. But Patrick Day, may he rest in peace. As we speak about fans and fans and what they want, this was a good one. I grew up in New York City. I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I grew up in New York City, and I loved it. I went to Nick Games where you couldn't see the other side because of all the pot smoke when everything went. there, People were going crazy. I, I was a part of it. But what I never thought to do as a fan was to throw anything on the court because why would I want to delay the game and why would I want to hurt someone? But for whatever reason in my career, as 18 years watching fans, I never understood the emotion of wanting to throw something at an opposing player or hurt an opposing player. I love booing. Boo me, boo my players, have at it. Scream, yell, stamp, do anything you want. Why is it that people think it's okay to throw things on the field of play? New Yorkers, you're better than that. It makes us all look bad when people in Yankee Stadium are throwing things at Josh Reddick of the Houston Astros, forcing Josh Reddick to actually go public and say that he felt endangered, that there were not just batteries and water bottles, but baseballs, souvenir baseballs. That is attack with a lethal instrument. Just FYI for you fans listening who may have been sitting there, that's a crime that goes with jail time. That could be even attempted murder. You are throwing an object like a baseball at a man. You may hit him in the head. If he dies from that, that's actually manslaughter. Please, why do you do that? As New Yorkers, my goal would be this. Make the Astros feel uncomfortable. Taunt them, talk to them, scream at them. Do anything you can to get them off their game. It's not a golf match. It's not the symphony. It's not the U.S. Open. You can do anything. You can whistle. How about a vuvuzela? Blow that in his ear. But don't throw things on the field. New York, you guys know better. And when you guys go to the World Series this year, which you may, or you're hosting a game today and tomorrow, let's not repeat that. Thank you. So we got that game coming up, and we're going to spend a few minutes talking about it. It's a incredible game four that's happened because of a rainout, but there's a lot of sub stories to that. And let's go through each one of them for you today. The series right now is New York Yankees one, Houston Astros two. 
Of course, you're supposed to say two to one Houston, but as a New Yorker, we have one. It's one to two, New York. So Houston has a choice to make. They're in New York, they had an off day, and they decided they're going back to Zach Greinke, who started game one. Normally, if you start game one and game four in a seven-game series, you're starting on short rest. So this rain out was of great benefit to the starting pitchers from game one. For Houston, it doesn't much matter because they've got such depth in their starting rotation. Whether it's Zach Greinke or Justin Verlander or Garrett Cole, they're doing just fine. But for the Yankees, it's a totally different story. Masahiro Tanaka is the only starting pitcher the Yankees have, and they now get to throw him on regular rest in game four. They don't get to throw him game seven, except maybe a few innings if they get that far, but they pitch him now, and the benefit of having Tanaka is it gives your bullpen a small opportunity, very small opportunity to rest. So when you're watching the game tonight, what you're hoping Tanaka does if you are a Yankees fan is he goes six or seven innings. You want to go right to the back end of the bullpen to Britton and Chapman. That would be the ultimate for Aaron Boone if he goes Tanaka, Britton, Chapman. If you're Houston, what you're telling your hitters right now is you've got an approach at this game that is different than the approach in game one. You want to make Tanaka throw more pitches. I would like to see the Astros not going after first pitches. I want to see him build up his pitch count because then it's going to make Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, nervous. Nervous that he's going to have to go to the rest of his bullpen, the, the meat of his bullpen, who he's going to need multiple days in a row. Keep in mind, Yankees fans, no one in that bullpen has ever thrown three games in a row, and the Yankees may have four games in a row. So the question is, how do you deal with that if you're Aaron Boone? So Aaron Boone is sitting talking to Brian Cashman right now, and they're going through the pitching plan, lest any of you think that Aaron Boone makes decisions completely in a vacuum on his own. Brian Cashman knows exactly which pitchers are available, which matchups that uh, Boone is going to do in terms of pitcher, batter, batter, pitcher. Cashman knows it all. Uh, we've said this before, so please know, owners, presidents, GMs, we don't watch the game the same way as a fan only because we have more information than you do. So we know who's coming in when. We know the matchups that we have prepared our manager for. And we're fine with that, which is why we don't second guess when things don't go right, because we have to make the decision in advance. As a fan, you get to make the decision after the fact. Uh, Clayton Kershaw comes in, gives up two home runs. The Dodger fans go crazy. Dave Roberts is the worst manager ever. And then he's rehired. Of course he is, because Andrew Friedman, the head of baseball operations in LA, knew that was happening. Same with Aaron Boone. Brian Cashman knows exactly what Aaron Boone's gonna do. What he doesn't quite know is what the approach the Astros are gonna have. And the Astros have the benefit of being up two games to one, knowing they've got Verlander and Cole coming in games five and six or five and seven. But either way, they've got two games left to pitch if you're Verlander or Cole. That is why starting pitching matters. And that is why Brian Cashman not getting another starter is so frustrating for Yankee fans and so baffling for baseball executives. It actually makes no sense. He can't blame it on payroll because they have the prospects where they could give great prospects to a team and not take on any money. That's the way it works in baseball. You either pay in prospects or in dollars. What that means is if I owe a player $5 million and I'm trading that player to another team and I want to save that $5 million, I'm going to take back a bag of balls and David Sampson in return. 
if I'm willing to pay the $5 million not to have the player. I'm going to pay that player his $5 million, trade him to another team. That other team does not have to pay him anything. I'm going to get back real players, real prospects. So the Yankees, with their deep farm system, they have an expanse of young players, and they've got money. The world was their oyster, yet they're so busy trying not to be George Steinbrenner, so busy trying not to trade away their future, that all of a sudden, it's been 10 years since they won the World Series, an unprecedented run for the New York Yankees. So Brian Cashman, while he changed after George Steinbrenner died, and he changed for the better. Stability on the manager's side, keeping young players, signing fewer crazy long-term free agent contracts, all of those were smart moves. But the problem is he's now gone too far, and it's cost him a chance to add to his jewelry collection. And this is when it matters. Not when you're winning over 100 games in the regular season, which he was. It matters now when you can't get past the Houston Astros because their starters are better. And of course, the last thing on the Yankees series, there is a Giancarlo Stanton issue. I'm going to give this one minute of your time to say that Giancarlo has a quad strain. A quad strain for a player of his size and his strength is actually a problem. It's been worked on for three days. It gets worked on with masseuses, by masseuses, with stim, which means they put a machine on it to try to get the strain to heal faster. The only thing you can't do is jump into the DeLorean and go into the future. You've got to let a quad strain heal, which is why Aaron Boone said that he would be on the IL if this were the regular season. But it's not the regular season. They're playing short, but if they take him off the roster, they lose him through the World Series. That's why he's still on the roster. If it were me and he can't go tonight, I'm taking him off the roster. I'm replacing him because they can't afford to be short down two to one in the series. The good news is that you don't have to be in the playoffs to make the news when you're an MLB. You just have to be an owner. I mean, we could always make the news. All we have to do is call up the media. As Draymond Green knows, the media is in our pocket. So we just call him up and say, hey, we got an article for you. Well, something happened in Pittsburgh that was the total deja vu of what happened here in Miami. And for those of you not listening to Miami, uh, I'm gonna tell you a story. For those of you in Miami, I'm gonna remind you of a story. What happened in Pittsburgh, there's something called Reddit, which is an app on your device, and it's a online room where there's conversation. I've been on it, and there's a segment called AMA, which is Ask Me Anything, which is great for me because I will AAA. I'll always answer anything. So the mayor of Pittsburgh went on AMA, asked me anything, and was asked about the owner of the Pirates. And the owner's name is Bob Nutting, and who's a great man. The question, and personally, this is nothing personal, Bob, this is about your business. And was asked, the mayor was asked, what would you do about Nutting? How do you feel about the team in Pittsburgh and the fact that they don't win games, the fact that they're not drawing fans anymore in the most beautiful ballpark in Major League Baseball, and the fact that they have the second lowest payroll or third lowest payroll in all of baseball, and they just haven't won. And the mayor said, if the owner wants to sell the team, I'm gonna help him find investors. Mayor Bill Peduto, I will help find investors if this team were ever put up for sale. I, I started shaking, I started sweating, and I started thinking about Mayor Jimenez and Mayor Regalado in Miami. Um, mayor Jimenez is still the mayor. Mayor Regalado is the erstwhile mayor of the city of Miami, and they, thought it was a very good move to be against the owners of the Marlins. They thought it was good for community morale, 
They thought it was good to go against the public-private financing of a stadium and to do it in a public way. They thought it was good to do anything they could to sully the reputation of the president of the team who was trying to save baseball in Miami. This is not personal toward me, toward them, but it's definitely personal, personal from them toward me. This was a very personal thing that the mayor did in Pittsburgh. This was about Bob Nutting, and it shouldn't have been. Why are the payrolls so low in Pittsburgh, Mr. Mayor? Well, because your city is not providing the team with the proper revenue. You don't see the mayor of New York going against the owner or the president of the New York Yankees or the New York Mets, do you? And the reason you don't is that the mayors are far more concerned in helping business in their community, not hurting it. Baseball is a business. To the fans, it's a game. To the owners, it's a business. And my job in running a business is to maximize revenue. So is Bob Nutting's. His job is to maximize revenue. If he can win a ring, great. But he's got to not lose money. If you're the mayor of Pittsburgh, why not try to get season ticket holders instead of investors? Why not try to get corporate sponsors instead of investors? Why not try to rally the community around the team instead of complaining about the team? Why not stand up and be a leader in your community as a politician instead of a complainer? Why not stand up and instead of pointing out a problem, for one time, solve a problem? Why not be that kind of politician if you're in Pittsburgh instead of copying the easy way out and say, I'd be happy to jump on the anti-owner bandwagon? That's an old story, Mr. Mayor. Stand up and make the pirates a part of your community again. Oh, man. Brings back memories. Yes, it does. Years, like a decade I spent working on a ballpark in Miami so there could be baseball in Miami so we could have a World Series and we could have Derek Jeter and we could have all the great things that exist now. At least no one's getting wet who goes to games in Miami. You're welcome for that. Well, there was no baseball last night, so I did something other than watch baseball. It was pretty cool what I did. I watched the official trailer for season four of Man in the High Castle. If you don't know what that is, go to Amazon. If you don't know what Amazon is, please turn off this podcast and go back to your typewriter because you are not in the 21st century. Amazon Prime Video, Man in the High Castle. Here's the concept of this show. Imagine if we had not won World War II. Imagine if the Germans had prevailed. The Nazis win the war. I am Jewish. I find it hard to even think about that. I couldn't even think about a show about that but I was, it was suggested to me by a member of my family, uh, my stepmother Vicky actually, said to me, hey, there's a show, Man in the High Castle, watch it. She neglected to tell me what it was about, or if she did, I wasn't listening, which is not big news. I turned it on, and here's the show. Half of the United States of America is controlled by the Nazis, and half is controlled by the Japanese. And then in the middle, I guess that'd be, it's three quarters, and then one quarter of the middle. <laughs> there's my math, thank you, Horace Mann. That's the neutral zone. So it is a show about what happens in America when the Germans and the Nazis control the country, not the Americans. And for the first three seasons, you are brought into this world that you can't possibly believe is real. So we talk about veterans and we thank veterans all the time. This is not a political statement. I'm merely saying that the freedom we enjoy in America is due completely to the veterans of World War II who made sure that we could have the freedom that we're having. And this show hits close to home because it shows us what could have been 
if these wars had been lost, if this war had been lost. Watch the first three seasons. Season four is the final season. I love shows that tell you when it's going to end because then they can write to the ending. Schitt's Creek is doing that. We're going to talk about that another day. But Man in the High Castle, it's coming out in November, the final season. Watch the first three seasons and then get back to me at David P. Sampson on Twitter or through this podcast, however you can reach me. I'm pretty public. I want to hear your view and one thing that you did nicely for a veteran after watching this show. If everyone does one nice thing for any veteran after watching Man in the High Castle, that would be a success. So we have a a pretty lengthy topic to get to now, and it's uh, something that is semi-surprising to me that this is happening, but it's it's a huge issue in college basketball right now, and it's the future of college sports. We've read a lot and talked a lot, and there will be more about whether college athletes should get paid. Well, now we're beginning to see some of the antenna issues that happen when you think about college players getting paid and whether they should or shouldn't. John Calipari, you know him, the coach, the one who's had some issues with the NCAA, very successful, $85 million contract to coach at Kentucky. He went out publicly and said, I am against the NBA expanding its draft. Now, you're saying to yourself, he's a college coach. What does that mean? Why is he saying that? Let me break it down for you. The NBA right now has a two-round draft. That's it. What they're saying is they may make it a seven-round draft. But in the NBA, seven rounds of players are not going to make your team. So there's where do they go? They go to something called the G League. That is like a minor league system for those of you familiar with baseball. So what the NBA is proposing, or at least pondering, we're not going to say proposing, What they are pondering is doing a draft similar to MLB where the majority of the players drafted would actually go into a minor league system and then wait to either get a call up or in all likelihood just disappear because most minor leaguers never make it to the major leagues and most minor league basketball players don't make it to the NBA. That's how it goes. So John Calipari had one of the great quotes of all time. If they're not going to the NBA, we should encourage them to go to college Because after all, the best way to achieve the American dream is through education. And we owe these kids their education. I really want to marinate on that for a moment. John Calipari is telling you that he is concerned about the education of not just his players, but all players. Um, John, are you thinking about that when people are taking the exams for the kids? or when they may not be academically qualified to go to certain schools that they get into, or when after one year they don't have their degree but they turn pro or go play overseas? Are you thinking about the education then? Is the University of Kentucky allowing ex-players and ex-students who don't make it to come back tuition-free on scholarship? Do that, John Calipari, and then you can stand up and talk. Tell me that every player who leaves college to try to earn a living, making it to the NBA, if they don't make it, that you'll invite them back and pay for their tuition? Now we're on to something. Tell me that you'll continue their scholarships. But now what you're saying is that you want to make people go to college who think that they can earn a living trying to make it to the NBA. The odds are they won't. Guess what? I went to college because I needed to find out what to do and get educated to earn a living. If I could earn a living without going to college, I would have started that. 
Going to college is not for no other purpose, of course. You got if you're Animal House and you have a John Blutarski and a 0.0 and you're partying all day every day. I'm not commenting. That sounds great to me. But the purpose of college is to put yourself in a position to earn a living. If I could do that in high school, then that's what I'm going to do. There's many people who don't go to college who have to go earn a living for their families. Very common for that to happen. Very common for entrepreneurs to, to have skipped college or dropped out of college because they wanted to start companies. And I'm not talking about those who become billionaires. I'm talking about those who just in the course of life need to help support their family. So John, before you say that how important it is, why not tell us why you said it? Totally self-serving. Because it's really hard to win a national championship when nobody wants to go to your school anymore. It's really hard to get all the money from the NCAA for all of the March Madness, let's say, when it's a team of people from the Sunday Rec League instead of the top college players in the country. So I get from the business sense why you're saying it, but don't hide behind education. Hide behind business. I do it every day. Say, listen, I want players to be forced to go to college. We'll pay them for their likeness. He gave into that. We'll make it okay for them to be in college. But then finish it and tell them how you benefit. I think the credibility comes when you take a position to acknowledge how you benefit. I never shied away from the fact that the Marlins would be worth more as a team once a new ballpark came. I never shied away from the fact that if I signed a player for $10 million, I expected $11 million back in revenue. I never shied away from the fact that my job was to make money. John Calipari shouldn't shy away from that fact either. His job is not just to coach, but he represents a university and he represents a huge profit center. When you think Kentucky, what do you think? I don't think you think about lacrosse. I don't think you think about economics 101. I think you think about basketball. I think you think about national championships. Well, this is my way to see, my friend, and I am waiting to see. Will the NBA expand the draft? This is a complicated one because there's going to be a negotiation. The negotiation happens to be between the NBA, the NCAA, and the Players Union. All three parties are going to get involved in this. And the reason they are, it, this happened in baseball. We really have to work hard as MLB with the NCAA because we have an issue with baseball players. We're drafting them out of high school. And we're sending them to the minor leagues as 18-year-olds. We're putting them on their own. They're making very little to no money, and they're eating Taco Bell every day. Not that there's anything wrong with that in case you want to be a sponsor. They're eating fast food, but they don't make it the majority of the time, and then they don't go to college, and then we don't know what they do. Some of the players do. We actually, under the collective bargain agreement, I don't know if you know this, we have the scholarship plan in baseball. If you are drafted out of high school and you sign we will pay for you to go back to college anytime you want and get your degree. And we reserve money for that. So we have paid for players to go back to college who just didn't make it, who had no chance of making it, happy to do that. In the NCAA basketball world and with the NBA, it's a different story. The NBA is loosening the strings a little bit and they're letting more players come out straight from high school in the next year or two that's gonna start. More and more players are gonna do that. Look at the McDonald's All-American game and watch it next time. 80% of those players will end up going straight to the NBA, which means the cream of the crop is skipping NCAA basketball. And it's important that the NCAA does not lose college basketball revenue because it's not just going to college basketball. It's going to lacrosse. It's going to soccer. It's going to water polo. 
It's a complicated issue that many people don't think about. They only say, hey, listen, we think the college athletes should get paid and the football program makes too much money and so does the basketball program. But in reality, those programs are paying for lesser known programs that don't get as much attention that are just as critical, in my opinion, to the college experience, both as a student and as a fan. So there's three levels. My way to see is there will be an agreement to expand the draft but it will not go the full seven rounds, but it'll be more than the two it is now. Wait to see. Well, we're now up to the pick of the day, and I'm 0-2 for you, and I admit that, that I went with the cards, but I'm going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals one more time. Now, you, now I, I believe they're going to win the game today. Of course, they are playing the, in the California Penal League, so I like my chances. So I haven't gotten a line. When I get that, I'll let you know. But in all seriousness, folks, I guess that was lost in translation. If you can't see my face, that was a joke. Go with the Yankees. They're going to win it. I like the Yankees over the Astros. This will be a 2-2 series. Tanaka's going to get the job done over Zach Greinke. The line is actually better than I would have expected it to be. And 2-2 does not mean the Yankees go to the World Series. It does mean Yankee fans should behave. But they're going to win the game. Houston still will win the series. That's an extra double wait to see. Well, that's another entire episode four. What I've enjoyed about this one is we got to talk NFL. We got to talk about coaches. We got to talk about players. We got to talk about the games today. I always am thankful for your time, and I look forward to tomorrow. Because remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.